what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films. I'm Alan and with me is Chris. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing good. We're in the this is the run and gun edition of Foot Candle Films. Is that pretty safe to say at this point, Chris? Yes. And because you're eating lunch right now. Yes. If you'd like any <laughs> Cheez Its, just let me know. All right. Have we a have few lunch. Spare. We're during a lunch hour break. It's been an incredibly busy week, but you know what? We're so dedicated to this show and so dedicated to providing you, the listener with the best information you, we can give you about films that are out, that you may want to check out. We stopped everything we're working on to record this show. We hope you all appreciate that, the sacrifice <laughs> that we're making. Right. We've got a, a good show planned. Uh, it's going to be, like I said, a little rough and tumble here as we're trying to get our notes together, but it's still going to be a good show. We've got two reviews to discuss. We're going to be talking about the film Oz, The Great and Powerful, and then also the uh, film Amour, which was a foreign language uh, best winner at the Academy Awards. We're going to have those two reviews, talk a little bit about some brief movies, news and also give our recommendation of a online streaming video or film of the month that you may want to check out so foot candle films this is uh, supported by the foot candle film society and here on the mesh.tv uh, you can always go back and check out our old past shows and see past episodes and everything else we've been talking about for a few years now but without further ado let's go right into our first review which is oz the great and powerful kansas is full of good men I don't want to be a good man. I want to be a great one. You're gonna need this! your broom. You don't know much about witches, do you? It's the Emerald City. Chris, are you a are you a fan of The Wizard of Oz? I mean, do you consider yourself a, you know, fan of that classic film? I, I liked it a lot as a kid. I mean, I haven't really revisited it. That, uh, much, that was going to be my follow-up question, is whether you've seen it maybe in the last five years or so. No, I think the last time I saw it was when I was in college and I lined up the Dark dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd's mm-hmm. Dark Side of the Moon, and Wizard of Oz, and that was really cool. Um, but since then, I haven't really. Well, then let me ask you this, because uh, okay. you're a little bit younger than me, but you, you may remember this about the same time. Okay. I think back in the 80s, there was an attempt to make a return to Oz, whether it was a miniseries or a TV movie or I, something with that. Do you I recall that? I have a that? vague, vague memory of that. And I think they did make a movie that was yeah. called like Return to Oz. Okay. I think. And it had a witch that could take her head off. <laughs> 1985, Nick the Intern has just beamed in saying it's awesome. 1985. Thank you, Nick the Intern. And uh, I recall that as well. And I actually remember, even though I was somewhat young, I mean, I was a teenager at that time. Sure. I remember there being a lot of backlash about this idea that, oh my gosh, they brought a sequel to The Wizard of Oz and it was Mm -hmm. very different. It was actually a little more creepy, I guess you could say, a little more authentic to the book, supposedly, a little more adult. Mm -hmm. I just remember there being a lot of backlash. 
So, of course, when I heard about this project, Oz the Great and Powerful, Sam Raimi, uh, director of the Evil Dead films, the Spider-Man trilogy, mm-hmm. uh, many other films as well, directing a film starring James Franco and several great actresses, but it's a prequel to The Wizard of Oz. Immediately, my warning lights started going off. Okay, this could be a recipe for disaster. We brought it up on a uh, news segment. Of we Filipino did. Films Absolutely. And I think we, at that point, were very cautious about mm-hmm. our take on this. So now we've seen the film. Okay, you and I have both seen it, and even Nick the intern seen it. We may be calling Nick over here for his opinion here in a moment as well. So, yeah, surprise, Nick. We haven't told you that yet. So, Oz the Great and Powerful. Uh, you got a great cast lined up. Uh, it is a CGI extravaganza. My question to you, Chris, is did they make a colossal mistake? Or was this something that redeems your faith in the idea of doing prequels to classic movies? Oh, um, wow. Loaded question. And it pretty much is those two extremes. Right. You have to pick one or the other. Oh, ooh. Um, but if I have to pick one or the other, I wouldn't say they made a colossal mistake. Okay. Um, so I guess I'm not going on that side. Now, can I go to the extreme that's like, oh, this was amazing. The best thing I'd ever seen. Mm. No. Okay. Um, so I guess I'm, you know, of course I'm going to fall somewhere, not in the middle, maybe slightly to the positive side of the middle. Okay. Um, the movie was not flawless. One of the things you called out, the use of CGI Mm -hmm. and 3d and everything that to me was the biggest hindrance of me enjoying the film. Okay. Now, I did not see the movie in 3D. Did you? Yes, I did. Okay, And I'm going to comment on that here. Excellent, excellent, excellent. That's going to be a good counterpoint to me then. Um, But I could felt like I could tell segments that were supposed to be 3D and they were just there and they didn't really add anything to the story. And it was like the movie was nothing but a vehicle for 3D. In mm. some instances. In some situations, And that sure. made it very distracting and basically unenjoyable for not only me, but everyone else in the theater. Because yeah. I felt like people were also kind of getting restless in those moments and wanted some semblance of story mm-hmm. or something going on other than just, ooh, look at this bubble come towards the screen. Right. Look at this flower turn. Or, you know, just kind of like, okay, that's kind of gimmicky and you didn't have any story to kind of back up. Sure. Now, that being said, mm-hmm. did it have some elements that I thought were good and expounded upon the mythology, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, of Oz and everything? Yes. Okay. Um, I liked the opening. So uh, just to kind of give everybody an idea, sure. this opens very similar to the classic Wizard of Oz, where the first probably 20 minutes or so is black and white. Yes. It's actually, I thought, was a kind of a nice touch. It was in a four by three aspect ratio. Yes. Just like a TV set would be. Correct. And then when you get Oz, very similar to what it does in the classic film, everything turns color. But now we have the added feature of expanding the frame to Which the I wide screen. Which I thought was... Genius. Okay. And great. I felt like I was in good hands at that point. I think sometimes the film struggled with whether it wanted to take complete advantage, actually, of the CGI. And sometimes I felt like it held back with using backdrops. Mm-hmm. And it looked almost, there's a scene I'm thinking of specifically with sunflowers and the Emerald Castle, Emerald City was in the background. And it looked very fake, like a matte painting. But mm-hmm. I was wondering if they were trying to do that to reference back to mm-hmm. the original film and kind of pay homage to that. And I was like, well, okay. But it was distracting. Yeah. It was as distracting as when they just threw that well, it was under a the mixture. bus and It was a CGI. mixture at times between high-tech CGI and trying to have some throwback feel to it. And I think from a visual standpoint, we'll get to story and acting here in a minute, but sure. from a visual standpoint, I will say the one issue I had with it is the same issue I had probably with the Star Wars prequels. Interesting. Is that a classic film that we all know and visually can see in our head, the classic Star Wars trilogy. All of a sudden you go backwards to an earlier time, a prequel, but yet the CGI makes it look actually 
newer and mm-hmm. more high tech and more sophisticated. Gotcha. Same idea here. It's like all this CGI bouncing around. We still know that supposedly down the road, Dorothy lands in, in Oz and everything is matte paintings and people in costumes and all that. Gotcha. It's very, it was frustrating to kind of have to wrestle with that in my brain that we're going backwards in time to see a same place that we've seen in a very low tech or more of a low tech oh. ver- version. Sure. Here we are seeing it in a super high tech, but then they do throw in the matte paintings and some other things to try to give you that feel, but it's, it was jarring. I thought. Yeah, they either didn't. So yeah, I'm, I'm on the same page with that. And I feel like they would have even been, they would have been better served just to not be referential and just not do that at all and not combine it or rely more heavily on the older style and yeah. only use Pick one or the other. Yeah. CGI for, let's say the China doll character, yeah. which, you know, that's essential. So, um, Okay, well, I'll tell you from a visual thing. I, I saw this in 3D. Okay. And I'm not a big fan of 3D at all, but it was the only option I had to see it at that time. Got you. And I do think this was probably the best use of 3D I've seen in a film. Really? Outside of, I guess, maybe Avatar. Okay. Avatar, even though I didn't like the story and everything right. of the movie, that's... Visually, it was beautiful. Kind of the hallmark that yeah. it hold everything to. This was really close to that Avatar really? type of experience where okay. there was a lot of moments. I'm like, that's really cool. Huh. That looks great in 3D. The 3D was bright. The screen was bright. It was not dim. Okay. It really looks like they put a lot of effort into it to make it work. So cool. I really enjoyed the 3D aspect of it. Uh, I think it just goes to show when they really put extra effort into making the 3D work, it really pays off. It can off. be done. Yeah. Okay. Um, so visually, you know, if it wasn't for the classic Wizard of Oz to compare it against and understanding that that difference between the two, I think visually this was a great film to watch. I enjoyed a lot of the interesting visual touches Sam Raimi put in. Hmm. He does a lot of things where throwing things at the camera, even before 3D, kind of more of a single point of view type of shots on things. And there was a few moments of those I thought were pretty fun. Okay, He added just enough little slight horror elements and kind of jump out at you elements to kind of keep you on your, on the edge of your seat. Okay. I enjoyed all that. I, I'm not a big fan of the huge CGI spectacle and I kind of wish films weren't going in that direction, sure. but I will say I enjoyed this a whole lot more than that Alice in Wonderland film that Tim Burton did a few years ago, which this is kind of being compared against Disney saying, Hey, we had such a big hit with Alice in Wonderland by doing a CGI kind of sequel type of thing. Let's do it again with another big name director. Right. And they did Oz. This came out much better than Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot more. I would agree. I'm going to say the story was still weak. It really fell apart if you started thinking about it too much. A lot of coincidences, a lot of things that you had to kind of take with a leap of faith mm-hmm. to make work. But, you know, you, you can't get too wrapped up in a story on a film because like this. Because this is intended probably for yeah. children. Sure. So. And I think from that standpoint, it worked. Uh, my big issue was James Franco. Interesting. I just don't think he fit for this role. And I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I mean, I okay. think 127 hours. He was, was great. Brilliant in that. I've heard great things about what he's done in that, that spring break uh, movie that's come mm. out. That, and you, you really liked him as an Oscar host, right? Oh, wait. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> uh, I think he's a good actor in certain roles. Sure. But this was one I just never bought his character. I never saw him as the huckster uh, uh, fake magician guy at the beginning. And then I never saw him as the genuine, like having more of the heart of gold toward the end. And I never bought either extreme. I never knew how to feel about his character. Do I think he's slimy? Do I think he's, you know, 
a good person? I don't know. And right. uh, that was, and actually in the end, I don't want to spoil anything here, but in the end, the path that one of the main characters takes, which is a little bit of a twist, and I don't think you quite know where it's going to go. One of the the witches, mm-hmm. there's three witches there's that three. we're dealing with. One of them goes a certain path that we kind of anticipate from The Wizard of Oz. But if you actually think about it, it's kind of James Franco's character's fault oh, that this character goes down that path, which makes it a complete spin on how you perceive this person in the Wizard of Oz film. And it actually would make me interested to revisit Wizard of Oz and see if there's any, see if I can gain any more knowledge out of hearing things the wizard says and hearing things the witch says and see how they kind of reflect yeah. on each other. So I just, but, I, my understanding was Robert Downey Jr. was supposed to be tapped to play Oz at first. And I, I think that, that actually would have gone over much better because I think he's the kind of person that can play slimy and kind oh, of fake. Tony Stark. Yeah. But then you get to know him. And in the end, he actually does have some good redeeming qualities. Sure. James Franco just couldn't pull that off for me. Well, in the beginning, when James Franco was doing his basically B, B grade or D grade mm-hmm. <laughs> magician in the little circus and the way he was acting that for me, it, it worked because it was kind of like I'm being this camp type person. Yeah. And it worked. What his acting didn't work for me once he got from Oz. And understandably, he's keeping up a little bit of that magician persona. But in the moments when he's not the magician and he's not trying to be fake, it just didn't work. I was like, something about this isn't translating. His character just never connected with me. Um, Now, I will say from an acting standpoint, I thought all three of the witches were really good. I thought Michelle Williams as Glinda... Uh, Rachel Weiss as Evanora and Myla Kunis as Theodora. I thought all three of them were great. I think they were fun. The, the times the witches were on the screen, I was I was having fun watching them act. I think in particular Rachel Weiss, something about it, she just got to go campy, but it wasn't so over the top where it was just highlighting, hey, I'm the bad I'm the bad person in this film <laughs> quite yet. Sure, she was having fun with it. I thought all three just did a really good job. I um, would agree. So I enjoyed all of that. Um, there were a few moments I thought really jumped out the film. I really liked. Uh, uh, I don't know if you recall the scene where the army is approaching where Glinda and uh, Oz and his little merry band have holed up at, at her dark land where she's been banished to. But all of a sudden the army is approaching through the fog and the mist and there's just this visual side of things. Okay. Did I just give something away? What are, what are you looking at me? No, I'm okay. You're saying you like that moment? Yeah. I wow. Did. Why hated it? Really? Hated With the army approaching through the fog and the mist? Why? Why hated it? From a visual standpoint, it was beautiful. What was, what was wrong with it? Uh, for a visual standpoint, maybe for like 10 seconds, it would have been interesting mm-hmm. or 15. I found it boring. When they're coming through the fog and yes. attacking them and stuff? And oh. that sequence, that is actually my least favorite sequence in the film. The start of that attack, wandering around, like bumbling around in the fog for like, like I get it. They can't find each other. The fog's there. And then the extended sequence that happens after that to show off 3D. That's like the whole bubble trap. Oh, yeah. Thing. I don't like the bubble thing. Uh, I was just talking about I was the fog. So, and and it was like, I, no, the bubble I scene was ridiculous. I did not time that. But if I could have just shortened it, that would have been oh, made the movie similar. No, I thought better. that was great. I thought just visually it was, it was fun to watch. All right. So what else here? Sam Raimi is the director. Anything to say on that? I mean, he, he, did he add anything to the approach that any other stock director may not have been able to add? Um, I think he probably helped keep it from being sugary Disney. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now, could anybody else have done? I mean, you know, Tim Burton, like you said, he mm. did Alice in Wonderland. People were kind of comparing the two. Somebody like him probably could have done the same thing. I mean, I thought he did a good job. The problems that I have with the film don't necessarily lay in his yeah. lap. So, I mean, is it a signature Raimi piece? I hadn't really thought about it. But from what you've said about the instances of like the plants jumping out and some of those mm. like kind of jump moments, I guess in that sense. That is yes. more his thing. So right. I'm going to go ahead and say too, and I, I, you may be disagreeing with me on this. I thought the ending, which normally if you talk about a CGI heavy action adventure film, normally the last 20 minutes are my least favorite part of the film because it's almost like they go overboard. Sure. Everything is CGI, fast cut, fast motion. It happens in almost every big blockbuster film these days, it seems like. I really generally don't like the ending big set piece of a film. Gotcha. This one I actually thought was okay. Um, I thought, you know, they incorporated some practical looking technology, even though it wasn't really practical the way they made it. But sure. the idea was they were going to incorporate more practical technology to put on this final show, this final set piece. And I thought it worked. I thought as far as a heavy computer animated film goes, I actually thought the ending was okay. I, I would agree. And I think again, without trying to give mm-hmm. too much away, it's basically a scene in which Oz kind of gets his place in the land of Oz. The he lead gets to character put on a gets to kind of put on a show. Yeah. And the reveal of that and how it ties to the Wizard of Oz movie yeah. was very satisfying. Probably yeah. one of the most satisfying parts I of the agree. entire film. Yep. And that's what kind of left me skewing more towards the positive side. Up until that you. point, I was kind of like, eh. You, you know, know, I think I was the same way. I think until that last set piece, that last 20 minutes or so where things started to come together and you really saw his place and things, I was I was very lukewarm on the film. The last 20 minutes, 30 minutes of it and the way it wrapped up, I, yeah, I was with it as well. I think that gave me a good feeling coming out of the, fil- the, the film. I generally can say I will recommend it, which is hard for me to do for such a big spectacle CGI film like this. But I think this one's a good one. Um, True. it does have its faults. I think you got to let go of the storyline a little bit and let go of the, the script and realize that it is more tailored for kids. You're going to have a lot of scenes that just don't really take you anywhere and are kind of ridiculous in a way. But I think overall it was a good film. We've hit on the major performances in the film, but two of the minor performances that I want to ask you about both digital CGI characters that have counterparts in the quote unquote real world, mm. but the monkey that yes. helps James Franco Oz and then also the China doll. Yes. How did you feel, A, that those two were realized on the screen? And then how did you felt like they worked just as characters? Well, realized on the screen, I thought they were both interesting characters to watch. I thought they were well done from an animation standpoint, especially the China China girl I thought was really well done. Okay. Um, I thought Zach Braff was a little underused. I think uh, he had a few lines they tried to give him, but I didn't. You know, you're supposed to have this moment at the end where you realize that they're really good friends and they care about each other. And I never quite got that through the course of the film. You had this whole throwback, like you mentioned, where there's characters from Oz's real life in Kansas that have now carried over to Oz, much like Dorothy and the wizard of Oz. Sure. And it just didn't work as well as it did in the original. You didn't get that same connection. I didn't feel like Oz really ever connected with his, his partner back in Kansas, like the way Dorothy did with her other characters through their Oz interpretations. Okay. That's my take on it. And I thought, now, the China girl, that was supposed to be the girl in the wheelchair at the beginning? Yes, that okay. sees his magic yeah. show. I figured so. It's just, it was Ab- Abigail Breslin did the voice of the China girl, but I didn't recognize her as the girl in the wheelchair, but it may uh, have been her just... Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, okay. Just really well made up. So anyway, um, I thought that part was good. You you like those characters? or? Yeah, I did. And I, I was glad. 
I was glad that they had references back in the real world because that kind of, like you said, referenced Wizard of Oz where people had kind of parallel people in mm-hmm. both places. Um, and like you, I felt like Zach Graff was probably underutilized. Yeah. And I had a fear when I saw him in the beginning. I was like, oh, you know, who who's he going to be? Surely he's not just going to be a throwaway. And he wasn't. But when it came over to Oz, he wasn't, I don't know, he didn't have a whole lot to do. He didn't, no. He, just a, he was really there for comic relief and that was right. about Whereas it. Whereas the China doll, I felt like, did have, there I guess, for emotional resonance yes. reasons, mm-hmm. she had more to do. And I agree. It was good. I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little special. Okay. Okay. Nick, yeah. take off your headphones. Nick, the intern, is going to come over here for just a second. And I want to hear, Nick has seen this film as well. And we respect and admire Nick's position on filmmaking in general. So, Nick, you are now at the microphone. Tell us your thoughts or if you, there's anything we said you agree or disagree with on this film. Um, well, my big problem comes with I'm a big James Franco fan, but there is no emotion behind him in that movie. You can't tell. He always kind of stays really even keel, so you don't really know that it's bothering him if he lets everybody down. It's just kind of like, okay, yeah, I'll go on. Um, everyone, it's a little bit of the a little bit of the stoner persona that he still kind of carries <laughs> over even to this film. So. Yeah, it's just you know he there's the threat that he's going to let everybody down and not be there's so much hope that he's the guy that everyone's been looking for and he faces such pressure but he just he's so stone faced at the same time you don't really see it. And you use the word stone face appropriately too, yeah. by the way. So. <laughs> I mean, he, he's a very talented actor. He just, if, if that was Zach Braff, you can tell when Zach Braff is upset or when he's just hanging on the edge. The, the great actors do that. Robert yeah. Downey can do that. Daniel Craig, you can look right through his eyes and know exactly how he's feeling. But very James cool. Franco is just always kind of like, okay, whatever. A little glassed over look on his face on things. Okay, I agree. Anything, uh, what do you like about the film? Is there anything you liked about it? I really... I thought that they did a really good job with the witches. I'm a big fan of all three. Uh, I'm a particularly big Michelle Williams fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that the 3D, I, I've grown up a little bit with 3D, and <laughs> I've recently been getting more and more disenchanted with it. Mm-hmm. But there is a scene when James Franco first gets to Oz, and he's in a balloon, and he goes over a waterfall. Mm-hmm. And for someone like me who's been there, done that, seen all the 3D, don't get excited when something's supposed to be coming at me, when he goes over that waterfall, they show it straight down. Even I gripped my chair for a little harder. So That was uh, pretty cool there, yeah. I thought that was great. I thought the uh, I thought the CGI looked really good. I thought it was a really – it's a very colorful and believable world. And also, I'll just throw this – I'm a huge Zach Braff fan, and mm-hmm. I thought he uh, he could have been a bigger movie star, and they gave him a few good lines. Uh, I think they could have used him a little bit more too, though. Yeah, I agree. I think he – He's a good actor. He he could have had a bigger part in this. He could have played more of an impactful role, and they just they really didn't know what to do with him other than comic relief. I think for the most part. But so. other than that, I think it I think it was a really good movie. I uh, I think it's a little bit more geared towards kids with the ending being the way it is. Um, it's not going to be a, a big time adult sort of finish but at the same time it, it wraps things up in a good way and i i'd recommend it as something to see while it's still in theaters all right so nick the intern's recommendation is yes check out oz the great and powerful nick thanks man thanks you nick. can return you can return to your headphones now so uh, <laughs> nick will still be available through the rest of the show as our go-to resource and reference guy when we That's have right. questions that we cannot ask there uh at a moment's notice Okay, so with that, uh, got, got one more question. One for more you. thing for okay. It clocks in, I believe, at like 130 minutes. Yes, which for a kids' movie to me is kind of 
challenging for it yes. to be that long, even for an adult movie, because I go on record as saying I don't like long movies. Were you totally entranced in the world that you didn't realize the running time? Yeah, I'd say really? I was. I mean, it, it, yeah, I wasn't. I wouldn't say totally entranced, but the running time didn't bother me. Really? It was keeping my interest long enough to where you know. There again, if that ending had been just completely over the top or or mind numbing headache-inducing, which I was worried it would be, I, I probably would have noticed the running time a lot more, obviously. And it sounds like I, I would have appreciated the movie more and probably not bothered, been bothered with the running time if I'd seen it in 3D. So I think this mm. is an example where normally when we review movies like Wreck-It Ralph or something like that, we'll say, oh, I don't bother with 3D. Did you say, and normally neither one of us do. With this one, it sounds like 3D is the way to go. I, I do think 3D, I was, I was pleasantly surprised okay. with the 3D on this. All right. So Oz the Great and Powerful, it's still out in theaters, doing pretty good business right now. So we're saying, yeah, you know, check it out. It's 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 worthwhile checking out. And uh, probably save your money and see it in 3D as well. <laughs> I do think if, unless you're just absolutely adverse to 3D, um, this is a good one. This may be the kind of film that gets you bought into 3D because gotcha. it, it did move me more in that direction. I'll okay. say that. Okay. Let's move right into our second review, if we can. Chris, okay. you ready? Sure. You're in between bites. Your lunch is, uh, lunch is going down okay? Yes. All right, good. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about our second film, uh, which is the film Amour. You can come. Alors quand je suis entrée, je me suis rappelé comment je vous écoutais toujours faire l'amour quand j'étais petite. Ça me donnait le sentiment que vous vous aimiez et qu'on resterait toujours ensemble. Qu'est-ce qu'il y a Qu'est-ce qu'il y a Michael Haneke is best known for his bleak and often disturbing styles and films that document failures in modern society. And recently, he had his 70th birthday. The Academy gave away an early birthday present by giving him Best Foreign Language Film Oscar for his latest Amour. And in this film, Hanukkah takes a stab at looking at the subject of aging and its effects on a Parisian couple. Alan, my question for you is, do you feel like the director has softened in this latest effort as he himself is aging? Or does he maintain his hallmark style? Um, I do think he's softened a little bit. Okay. Not to the point where he's become this big commercial director going to give us the sappy Hollywood movies anymore. Okay. But I do feel like this was probably, even though this was a very tough film to watch. Sure. I do feel like this was probably his most, you know, optimistic is not even the word to use. (laughs) It has some element of hopeful to it, even in despite of it being a very traumatic, depressing situation. I think mainly because of the way he wrapped it up at the end. I think it gave us some nice... Nice closure to a film, which a lot of his films don't always give us nice closure. Um, I came out hard-pressed and emotional, but yet I also felt like it was the story was told the way it needed to be told, and he didn't try to pull any punches with it, and he also didn't feel like he had to leave us with this absolute downbeat, depressing note either. So I do think a little lighter, not lighter, a little more, I don't know, a little more easy to, to swallow in the end than some of his other films have been. Sure. And let me, I'll just kind of go into the story a little bit, set it up a little bit. Uh, basically, the cu- older couple, George and Anne, they're played by Jean-Louis Tratignan, is George, and Anne is Emmanuel Riva. Man, you handle those French words so much better than I do. <sighs> I, I make it up. Hopefully yeah. It's probably not anywhere close, but right. it sounds good. Um, and those two are basically the retired 
I think they both, well, the lady definitely, and definitely has a background in music. And I believe okay. the husband does as well. And they have a background in music and it shows them going, the movie starts off, they go to a performance of one of Anne's former students and he's obviously made it and is apparently somewhat of a huge star. And then the following morning, she comes, succumbs to a stroke. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, it shows the couple dealing with you know the struggles of growing older right. and the effects. And they have a visit as well from their daughter, who's played by um, Isabel Huppert, who's kind of a – she's been in some Hanukkah films before. And she kind of comes in the interplay between family dealing with this situation mm-hmm. is, is interesting. But yeah. you're saying you felt like Hanukkah, who can be kind of bleak – in this, he had a little bit more of a humanistic touch. A little bit more of a human. Yeah. Gotcha. And again, I'm not going to say it's, uh, it, I, I'm not, I can't say it definitely was not a Haneke film. And for those who've seen some of his films, there's absolutely touches in the, some of the realism and some of the no holding back on showing you some of the really, really raw moments. It was all definitely there. Sure. Um, I'm thinking two or three moments in particular that, you know, I think people in our audience were a little shocked at the moments, but you think about it and yeah, that probably really does happen. You know, I'm thinking in particular where the husband's just so frustrated by his wife, not eating after she's had the stroke and you can tell that she just wants to let go, but he doesn't want her to let go. And he ends up at one point just slapping her. Yes. And it was one of those moments where just everybody in the audience is like, Oh my gosh, he just slapped his wife. But yet you sit there and you think about it for a second. And you're like, I get it. I right. totally get it. I mean, he does not want her to die. He wants her to eat and she's not cooperating and she doesn't want, they're at two different ends of the spectrum and he just was not ready to let go. And he's frustrated. So that the kind of rawness that you you would not see in a typical Hollywood version of this, and which is why I'm glad we get to see a film like this because it was about as raw and realistic as I can imagine the situation being. And the instance you're describing, um, the mood in the theater was the exact same when I was seeing it because you know people were watching it. And it was quiet in the theater. It's a very kind of quiet movie. But when that happened, there was an audible <gasps> gasp yeah. by everyone, and they were taken aback by what had happened. But uh, similarly, I think everyone comes to understand there was so much gentleness in both performances that that moment had even more of an impact. And that's, to me, was something very unexpected. Going into this film, I was thinking, you know, it's going to be Hanukkah's approach to growing old. It's going to be very bleak. It's going to take on kind of a funny games or mm. white ribbon type aspect. And it's going to leave me with no hope. And I thought there were going to be more instances of the husband getting fed up or showing frustration and lashing out. And I think, you know, the old Hanukkah may have shown more of those, but instead he kind of reined it in and made it a better film to me. I agree. And, you know, you can't talk about a film like this without talking about the two the two lead actors in it. I mean, it's you're pretty much I can't think of any scenes where they're not in the scene. Right. I mean, it's pretty much the, it, it's the two. Um, and almost 95% of the film is, is inside their condo apartment, whatever it made their townhome. Sure. Um, so right away, that's just, uh, you're focused on these two all the time. And I can't say anything more positive about those two than what's already being set out in the press. I mean, they both are brilliant in this film. I think, I know she was the one that got a lot of acclaim from the, the Academy and she nominated, was nominated best for actress, best actress, yeah. which yes, she has the more showy role. And I hate saying showy, but it's the more, 
She's the stroke victim. She's the one that has to do more with without talking and through her facial expressions and all this and her body contortions at times. I think he had just as much of a challenging role because he had to go through a wide range of emotions. Sure. It's happiness with her at times when he, when they are able to connect. It's, it's frustration at times. It's depression. It's trying to be stoic around the rest of the family members, his daughter and, and his son-in-law. I mean, it's a wide range of emotions he's having to cope with. And then at the end, where it's just him for the last little bit. You get to see him kind of go through the motions of the latter stages of the story. Sure. Um, I thought he was was great. I think probably a little underappreciated maybe even for what he did in this film. Yeah, these these two actors, I can't believe that I've never heard of them before, I guess. Not that I see that much French cinema, but for them to be as good as they were, it was amazing. And I've, I have not still caught up with Silver Linings Playbook, but all I've got to say is Jennifer Lawrence has a lot of work to do to make me believe that she was better than Emmanuel Riva because she was amazing. And going into the film, I was like, okay, it's an older person. And I was aware that she has the stroke pretty much early on in the movie. Hmm. So I'm like, how is she going to be able to give that much of a performance that I haven't seen before? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you've seen performances of people that are disabled before in film. And her performance was was a monster performance of excellence. You know, it was really well done. And I was really, really impressed with her. I would say in general, I think acting across the board was really good. Now, granted, we pretty much have these two lead actors, but Isabella Huppert, who is normally in a lot of the Haneke films. Sure. She's kind of one of his mainstay actors in in his film, uh, his film history. She played, it was a small role, but she played the daughter. And I thought she was really good. She was. I thought her husband, uh, a gentleman who played her husband was really good. I mean, there are not many characters in the film, but the ones that are in there and passed through, I think were all really, really well realized. And you know, the, the interesting thing with the daughter, I think that relationship was just fascinating to think about some more because it was not your typical mother, father, daughter relationship. Um, there was a lot of barriers there still. Absolutely. There was a lot of things that we were never told about, and I don't think we need to be told about, mm-hmm. but we know that things have happened in the past between them where they are not all on the best Something terms. is strained, and we're not yeah. sure why. Don't know what, but even hearing the, the, the husband and wife even kind of lamenting the fact that their daughter may be coming to visit. Yes. I can't even imagine, you know, <laughs> seeing that in a typical film, a big Hollywood film where you talk about people and their kids. I mean, this is very real. They were mm-hmm. just like, oh my gosh, she's coming, and she's bringing her husband, and we've got to deal with this, and we want to kind of put on a front for them and we don't want them to get involved and all it's just it's very it was very odd we had a lot of questions about that after the film was done about this distance between the 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 parents and and the and the daughter right and my thing is you know that's that's real life in a lot of families it's it's not glossed over here at all so yeah there were there were there was more to chew on in this film than i thought there was going to be you know i thought it was just going to be showing a couple growing old but what it did was it showed family dynamics that were involved in that and also had a big part to talk about with uh, dignity and how how you basically choose to live and how you choose to die. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot, you know, he, the male character, the husband, goes to a funeral and then he kind of relays back information about that funeral to his wife who was unable to go. And the commentary they have is very interesting and comes into play later in the film as well. Mm-hmm. And like you're mentioning, the family dynamics of between the daughter and the family, that was also something that I wasn't expecting to get as much of. And even though it's not there, it doesn't play a huge part in the film, it's still a very important part and I think crucial to the overall film to kind of get this entire portrait. Never have I seen, like you were commenting, a more realistic portrayal of the experience 
of people going through this, yeah. growing old and having strokes and medical problems. And it was very, you know, very tense, but, um, but well worth it, I thought. Well, this, this is one of those one-timers for me. <laughs> uh, you know, those films that you see one time and you really don't need to ever see again. Hmm. Not to say that I wouldn't appreciate it if I saw it again, but sure. I, it was pretty grueling. And I, I don't know if I could actually have sat, sat through it again. Okay. Um, just because it is, it's a tough watch. It's, I think because it is so realistic and, um, something I commented on about the, about the film I thought was interesting is the use of music or I guess the lack of music sure. for it to be a film about two people that we know music was a huge part of their life. I mean, she was a music instructor and mm-hmm. we get the impression that he had something to do with music as well. Yeah, right. There's a piano in their house and everything. There's no orchestrated music, no score. Right. At all throughout the entire film. If there's music playing, it's because a character is actually playing music sure. or they're playing a record on their, uh, on their stereo system, but that's it. And I thought that again, added more to the realism of this film because nothing was telling you when emotions were to be ris- raising or, or lowering. Mm-hmm. There was no cue for you, which we get a lot of times in films, you know, the, the music starts swelling. We're supposed to feel more emotional about what's going on. None of that. It's basically, we're showing you on the screen what's happening you take away from this how you want to feel about it. And he, Hanukkah never, yeah, because of the lack of music cues, he was never telling you, okay, this is supposed to be a very sweet and sentimental moment. Right. It's just you had to see the moments and decide for yourself where you were falling on. And them. there were plenty of moments that were not at all sweet and sentimental. That's they were meant true. to be pretty much in your face. This is what this is what it's like. I yeah, I I I, I appreciated the film. I can't say I enjoyed it. I'm going to say I appreciated the film immensely. Um, and I think really just the, the two actors deserve all the acclaim they were getting for this. I'll, I'll say to comment on your point about it being a one-timer film. Um, I feel that way about some films that I've seen. Actually, this is going to be for me, it's going to be a two-timer film. Well, because there were, there were some things that I did not, I wasn't able to pick up on because I kind of knew where the film was going. There's a story that he relays to his wife oh, yeah. about him going off to summer camp and there's several things that he says in there. And part of it, it is a foreign film. So we saw it with subtitles. Mm. And I was so concentrated on just barely kind of trying to keep up with mm. what he was saying that I don't feel like I was able to relate his story to other aspects of the film. Mm. And I, I couldn't appreciate it as much because of that. Sure. So for me, it's probably actually, and because of some of the visuals and how well a directed movie it was for Michael Hanukkah, I actually think I do want to see it again. But after that, yes, I'm probably done. <laughs> well, and actually, I need to go back and clarify my statement. From a technical standpoint of viewing the film, yes, I need to go back and see it again because we saw it in a less than desirable situation in our theater where all of the heads were cut off on the top of the film for the first hour. So it was it a little even, hard to follow. It became very avant-garde. It did, very time. avant-garde. <laughs> I thought, wow, this is the way French are making films now, huh? Um, <laughs> so that for that alone, I need to see it again, but that's more of a technical issue than anything. Gotcha. Um, yes, I I hear you. I Two two moments I wanted to call out that sure. I think were probably my favorite moments of the film. Okay. One, you just hit on the story he told towards the end of the film to his wife uh, that really kind of builds to some of the resolution of the storyline. Gotcha. I thought was very, very uh, effective. Okay. And then the nightmare sequence. Mm. Uh, there were some dream sequences throughout. Yeah, we haven't commented on that. Okay. Uh, which I thought were interesting to be in such a realistic-based film and we're going to have dream sequences. But they were really well done, too. One in particular turns out to be a nightmare sequence. And at first, you don't realize it's a nightmare sequence until it gets a little bit further into it. And then even from a visual standpoint, something happens that I thought was really – it didn't match the tone of the rest of the film at all. But it 
did it didn't, startle you. It didn't you. distract. No, it didn't, but it like kind of shook you up. It's like it got you refocused a little bit more in the film, and I thought that was really interesting. When I agree, and I think from a typical film, it wouldn't have those moments, mm-hmm. and that's what makes me want to revisit this film, is to see what parts of those sequences have resonances in other parts of the film, what parts are actually real, what parts are imagined, mm-hmm. is there certain aspects that are going on in the real world that are filtering, making the dream happen. Like, I don't know all these things I want to kind of answer and a second viewing is the best way to do it. Absolutely. So it sounds like we're both fans of the film without a doubt. Uh, Very equally impressed with it. I think, you know, we're both going to strongly recommend it. Although it is a tough watch. I mean, we're just letting you know it's, it's a tough one. It's grueling. Yeah. But uh, if you want to see a real acting powerhouse performance by two, uh, two senior actors, uh, this is the one to see. And uh, great. I can't recommend any higher than that, I guess. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll do a couple uh, movie news items. Again, our run and gun edition. I'm pulling these out left and right, Chris, as we go here, (laughs) man. You're chowing down food. We're talking. We're getting through this. And then we'll end up with a recommendation from each of us at the end. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films, the run and gun edition as we're plowing through during our lunch break, trying to get uh, stay on our biweekly schedule. Chris, we've been so good about our schedule we have been. for several months now. I'm very proud of us. However, we have days like today where things are crazy chaotic. <laughs> yes. We got new equipment in the studio. We've got new things happening, events happening. But you know what? We're dedicated. We're going to do this. We're in here making this happen. Hollywood Studios, help us out. Just send us screeners come on now. yeah that Just, would really you know, help i really need to see these films in my own out? living room yeah, yeah I, mean, I agree <laughs> it should be any day now we'll right. get that going i mean i'm waiting so yeah. let's let's cover a little bit of movie news and actually this movie news is gonna be a little different in that i don't really have like specific movie stories or news items to talk about it's more of a concept okay that i, I think is going to relate back to our first uh, review of oz the great and powerful okay I look through movie news. I love reading movie news, finding out what directors are working on, what stars are getting attached to them and all that. And I think it's no surprise the glut of films that we've had over the last 10 years and probably further back, remakes, sequels, and prequels. Agreed. Almost to the point where you start to ask the question, are we truly running out of original ideas? <laughs> all right. I mean, people have asked that for years. I think they've asked that since the 60s and 70s. Sure. When the blockbusters started coming out. It's like, oh my gosh, have we really just ran out of ideas where now we have to repackage an older film or we have to just build on a continuing story of one film as opposed to coming up with new unique ideas. Now, so of course, in our reviews, we had two very, very different films. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oz, Great and Powerful, perfectly falling into that trap I'm talking about. A more, not at all. There's no prequel. <laughs> We're not going to see a prequel to a more. I wouldn't uh, think so. A sequel would be impossible. Um, <laughs> so, right. Um, but I want to talk to you about just how do you feel about this whole remake, prequel, sequel? And then, and this is to be thinking about in the back of your head, are there films that we feel like should be remade, could be remade, or deserve a prequel sequel story to them in general. Hmm. Tell me, what's, is, has there been a remake 
or a reimagining of a film in recent years you can think of that really effectively worked for you? There've been there've been several. Okay. Um, the reimagining of the Batman franchise was successful. That was for the me. Uh, Christopher Nolan version. Christopher Nolan versions. Going back and kind of reimagining what Tim Burton had done and yes. what uh, a couple other directors completely. And I, I liked the Tim Burton version. Botched. It yeah. wasn't that the, you know I thought they needed to be remade because I thought they were horrible, but it was just a different take on it and it was successful for me. I liked okay. that. Um, a more recent one would be uh, Prometheus. I okay. was a huge fan of the Alien franchise. The first two I really liked. The second two I'm actually somewhat okay with. But Prometheus taking that idea, using story elements, but kind of creating its own entity, I thought was amazing. So those are ideas of things that have been good. But do I kind of shrug when I hear about a lot of projects kind of like Oz, the Great mm-hmm. and Powerful? Yes, typically I do. Yeah, But there are instances where it does work and it, you know, comes off well, but well, a couple of examples for me too. And one that's completely on the other end of the scale that I don't know if we've talked about the before sunrise, before sunset, um, pairing of films. And now before midnight is out. So it's actually a trilogy. Mm -hmm. This is Richard Linklater with, uh, uh, Julia Delpy and Ethan Hawke, Ethan Hawke. There you go. And that's one of those films that's completely opposite of what we're talking about with these other blockbuster films. It's basically two people in a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversation. But we get so invested in those characters that we wanted to see the next film. We wanted to see what these characters were like years later. I think there was enough built up on that. Now we've got a third film that's just making the rounds of the film festivals and supposedly is also very good. Well, and it's continuing that same story. So I think the thing comes into play where when I heard that they were doing a sequel – to the first film. The first, I get get them mixed up. It was Before Sunrise was the first one. Yes. Right? And then Before Sunset was the second one. Okay. Yes. When I heard they were doing a sequel to Before Sunrise, I was like, why? That seems like a big mistake. The open-ended nature of it was awesome. And actually, I was like, there's no way it can be as good. And it was. It was. And now that I hear that they're having a third one, I kind of fall into that, why are they, you know, why are they doing it again? Why do they mm. want to risk screwing that up? But they've given it time. And I feel like if anybody can do it, obviously the guy who did the first two, he could do it. And I think it'll probably actually be really good. And I've heard heard that it's really really good. And I think that's the thing is that it can work, but it just takes the right writer, the right director. And for example, the Star Wars movies, Mm -hmm. when I heard they were making back when they were making the prequels, the one, two and three Phantom Menace and stuff, I was excited. And then they, because I was like, you know, they've waited a long time. They must have a reason they waited a long time. Technology's caught up. They came out with them. I thought the first one was awesome. And then they had kind of diminishing returns after that. When I heard the news that they were going to make three more Star Wars movies. Which are now official sequels. Which are now official sequels. Right. I still, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, they're just, you know, milking that franchise for more. They don't have any ideas. Kind of like what you were talking about. But I think if the writing's there, I'm excited to see them. I like science fiction anyway, but I think they could be amazing. They could be what the first three, the prequels, maybe should have been as far as quality. Yeah, sure. I, I guess, yeah, I, I look at it too as a, it's a matter of if the characters that have been built by a film or a franchise are appealing enough that you want to visit them again, mm-hmm. then I'm all for continuing the story. I think that makes sense. I think it's just, you know where that line is, where things are just a cash grab. Right. Because, oh, well, you just happen to make a lot of money the first time, so let's go make another movie. There's a real difference between those. And granted, everything in Hollywood is still based on on money and and what is going to make good box office. Well, sure. But the Star Wars characters, any kid who grew up on those Star Wars movies, the original trilogy, would have loved the idea of finding out what Luke, Leia, or Han would be like in 10, 15 years 
later on down the world the the line. I, at least I would have. I would have thought that would have been really cool years later to follow up on their story because right. you like those characters, right? You know, um, nobody's clamoring for a Jar Jar Binks prequel or sequel. You know, it's the kind of things where it's all about the characters that are being built. If the if the characters are built, it doesn't matter the story. It doesn't matter to me the situation, the the filmmaker or anything. It's if the if the characters are good and if somebody can continue that story or give us more insight to that character, great. Now, this does fly in our face because I think uh the story of Darth Vader in the Star Wars movies, that's the kind of story when people heard that the prequels were going to talk about the birth of Darth Vader, How people got, got so excited because right. Darth Vader is such a popular character. Mm-hmm. I think those prequels hurt his character more than they helped in the long run. So you always run that risk. Sure. But I think it just comes down to the characters. The Bond movies, Daniel Craig has had three. Yes. Okay. That's a good example of, I was, you know, we have gone on record of not being that interested in the Bond films. Oh, yeah. And you. Right. Okay, you. Not me. And then when they did Casino Royale with, you know, that was his first kind of, they kind of rebooted. Mm -hmm. I was not that interested in it. I was like, oh, whatever. It's just another James Bond movie. But I saw it and was thoroughly impressed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, when they made the second Quantum of Solace, I was like, okay. And then it was like complete letdown. Oh, Quantum of Solace was bad. I was thinking they would just laugh. And so when the latest one came out that you saw, we reviewed on the show, Skyfall, I was kind of thinking like, well, you know, the... The uniqueness of this reboot has already worn off. It's probably worthless again. But no, they put some effort into it. Still, unfortunately, haven't seen it. But you have, and it was great. So I think it always, you know, just with every movie, just because it's a reboot or just because a franchise has fallen, you know, on a case-by-case basis, they can always pick themselves back up. Yeah. So Uh, Well, there there again, you've got a great character in James Bond, so you can't let that just fall fall away. And a big cash cow. But then, if you've got a great character, (laughs) what you've got to add to it is a good story and a good director. Sure. So, um, now, the whole idea of reimagining movies, you know, just taking the exact movie and redoing it to make it more modern or to make it something, to have a little extra element to it, uh, that's another side of the coin. I mean, people get so bent out of shape talking about remakes of movies. Why do they keep remaking the movies and reimagining it or redoing it? Me personally, I don't have an issue with that because if the, if the remake stinks, you still got the originals, not like all the prints of the original are being burned and you'll never get to see them again. <laughs> and now you're left with this new version, right? You can disregard the, the new version and focus on the old. But sometimes the new version comes out and is a little better than the old one. And sure. you know, I'm all for having more opportunities to see a good story reimagined by somebody different through a different lens. So I'm okay with that. I've never had a problem when somebody says they're going to remake such, such and such movie. I say, well, okay, great. Perfect example of that. Uh, there's a lot of discussion right now about remaking the old John Carpenter film escape from New York. Hmm. And my thing is I say, yes, please do. Because I'm one of those people that I've seen escape from New York a couple times. I love the concept. I love the idea, but I think technically it's a horrible made film. <laughs> So I'm like, you know, if you're going to tell me that you're going to take that same story, concept, and idea and just remake it and make it hopefully better production value to it, mm-hmm. bring it on. I say, I'd love to see that happen. So the whole remaking and reimagining, I don't have any problem with. you have any take on that? Um, I'm trying to think of a remake that has been done that I appreciated better than the original. And right now I'm coming up. I mean, it wasn't a remake. It was reimagining, and I liked Phantom Menace a lot better than like Return of the Jedi. But as far as like a total, you're so wrong. Sorry, go ahead. As we'll far as a, for another day. <laughs> as far as a, a total remake of something, ah, I can't come up with anything. Well, I'm going to go and be blasphemous a little bit. I think the new Star Trek movie that came out in 2009 was better than the original Star Trek movie back from 1970s. Okay. 
because Thank you. that's yeah. that's an example I can okay that's that's yes I would agree with that so that was reimagining this whole startup of a new Star Wars saga although that's maybe not an app comparison because the Star Wars motion picture didn't really kick off the story it was more of a continuation of the TV series story so anyway right it's an idea where when they reimagined Star Trek I'm on board for it because I thought the old Star Trek had gotten a little dated and was kind of needed a good kick in the pants so I was all ready for it. Um, so I think there's some situations out there that float around that, that, that match that, that qualification. I guess. So you're saying a reboot is technically just like a reimagine. Yeah. Okay. I got, I got yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you've got two different brands. You've got a reboot, you've got a, a remake where you're going to make that exact film and just make it over. Then you've got a reimagining where you're going to take the characters and the story, but you're going to spin it a little bit differently. I guess where I am is now that, yeah, I was, my mind was a little muddled because I'm just now getting my energy from eating lunch. Well, you just had lunch. Um, yeah. Yes. Re remaking I'm typically I can't think of a remake that I like better reimagining and rebooting things like Batman for example like the James mm-hmm. well, James Bond and then like the Star Trek you're mentioning those if done well I'm pretty I'm a fan of a lot of those rebooting not okay. remaking technically where you're doing for example the remake that just sticks out like a sore thumb would be the Psycho remake yeah, you know? yeah. and that was remaking shot for shot it was well, that was a re- that was the extreme remake. right the extreme of this yeah. and that was you know other than being an artistic exercise you know just like that's whatever all it was. so that's you know I, I can't think of another re- I can't think of a remake that I actually like. I can think of reboots and reimaginings, but not just a out and out hmm. remake. Well, that maybe be a question for all our listeners out there. Has there been a remake of a film that was truly better than the original? All right, a true remake. We're not talking reimagining. We're not talking a reboot of the series or right. franchise. Truly saying this film we're remaking with the same basic story, the same basic concept, different actors, different director, all that. Is there been a better remake than the original? Good question for the audience out there. Um, let's move right on into our recommendations for the month. Chris, are you okay. prepared, geared to be able to do that for us? I, I am. Why don't you jump so right we'll in and tell us. us. These are four films we like to recommend each month that we think you, you ought to check out. And we're focused on films that you can actually find online. Because we know getting to the theater is not only expensive, but just sometimes some, it's just hard to do with time sure. and schedules. So we are able to make it to a few films a month to go review, but... Probably not more than a whole lot more than that every month. True. So I think both of us are big fans of online streaming of films. So, Chris, what do you have as a uh, recommendation for us this month? Okay, it actually kind of ties into the film that I name dropped in the the news segment. Um, it's Cave of Forgotten Dreams, mm-hmm. and the, do- the documentary by Werner Herzog. And you're kind of saying, how does that tie into anything you talked about <laughs> in the news segment? Well, it actually has a lot of resonance with Prometheus. Because okay. Prometheus talks about early civilizations and things that are left True. behind in caves. And like I said, I really like that movie. With Cave of Forgotten Dreams, it's Werner, Werner Herzog going into some caves in southern France and examining drawings that mm-hmm. were left behind by early early man. And he does this for 90 minutes, and it never gets boring, even though you see some of the same images repeatedly because mm-hmm. the cave is only so big and he's showing it for you know an hour and a half but what you kind of learn and what he reveals and gets into more and more detail about what's left behind in this cave it's amazing really and um also i regret that when this came to theaters <laughs> Werner herzog actually did a 3d movie this was mm-hmm. in 3d yeah and watching the movie in 2d unlike oz where it took away from the fact that i didn't see it in 3d 
this didn't matter that it wasn't in 3D because you could see what they were doing. They were playing with the lights that they would shine on these cave walls and they would shoot it from different angles. And you could see how if you had been watching it in 3D, the images probably would have like jumped out at you mm-hmm. more, the images of like buffalo or rhinoceros. Mm-hmm. And it would have been fascinating to be able to see it that way, a documentary in 3D that was kind of awesome to see. That would have been nice. But as it is, seeing it in 2D, streaming on Netflix, it's awesome. I highly recommend it. And especially if you're looking for, I don't think Prometheus is streaming anywhere yet, but it's available on iTunes or you can rent it from Redbox. See that and then see Cave of Forgotten Dreams because the pairing of the two of them makes for interesting watching. Wow. I got to admit, I, I saw the the information about this film and nothing about it spoke to me as being anything I would be the slightest bit interested in. But I've heard enough people, you included, give it some great recommendations. So I'll have to check it out. And it also, being Werner Herzog, I mean, I like the man. He's made some cool documentaries. He's made some good films as well. Um, <laughs> good documentary that he also made, Grizzly Man. You're yeah. probably familiar with that. Oh, yeah. Um, we, have we talked about Grizzly Man on this? I don't think we have. No, I don't think so. We'll have to do uh, that Can't Forgotten Dreams, pretty straightforward documentary for Werner yeah. Herzog. He doesn't pull a lot of punches. Uh, he makes some very interesting commentary sometimes to the people he's interviewing. We're kind of like Michael Moore. He's not in front of the camera, yeah. but he'll say some kind of, in a way, some funny one-liners. And to watch the people being interviewed react to what he says yeah. is kind of funny because sure. it's humor from Werner Herzog, who typically you don't get a lot of that of. <laughs> yeah. um, the coda that he puts on the end of this film about albino alligators is really random and worth sticking around for. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, well, you've got my interest yeah. enough just with that. So okay. my recommendation for the month, if I've mentioned this before in an early, early show, uh, I don't care. I'm going to mention it again. Okay. Have I mentioned Black Snake Moan? You know you might have. Okay, well, I'm going to do it. It was an early show. I if think. it was an early show and you've heard me talk about this, I'm sorry. I'm going to talk about it again because – you know, I'm going through my list of all the films I really enjoy that I don't think enough people have seen, and that sure. one just keeps popping into my head. So I'm going to play it up again. Black Snake Moan, uh, Craig Brewer, writer and director who had done Hustle and Flow before that. I think this is just his second uh, feature film. After that, he did Footloose. Well, yeah. Well, we're not worried about after Black <laughs> okay. Snake Moan. Black Snake Moan is just all we're talking about right now. Gotcha. All we, everything stops at Black Snake Moan. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Christina Ricci, Sam Jackson, Justin Timberlake. Uh, quite an odd pairing of actor actresses there. Agreed. But I tell you, all three bring their A game. I love this film. I think from a acting standpoint, Sam Jackson is one of the best things he's done. Yeah. I think uh, Christina Ricci, I think best thing she's done by far. Justin Timberlake was the first role I ever saw him act in. And I thought it was more of a gimmicky thing when he was put on the cast. But then I saw his part. and I'm like, you know, he was actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, and the music. Oh, the music in this film. I love any of the scenes that revolve around music. There's a couple of songs that are played in a dance hall that the editing and just the movement and energy of it was beautiful. And then there's a scene, Sam Jackson playing guitar song while thunderstorm During is happening outside the house. I remember it. Man, that is just riveting. So I got to tell you, it's a, it's it's an interesting film. Uh, it got a lot of publicity for being the whole girl chained to the radiator. Yes, and the and the promotional images. And yes, there's a part of you know that's an element of the film. But it's a much much stronger, deeper film than what I think some of the ex, more exploitation based advertising had it pegged as. Rat hole, Alan. Yes. Instead of Robert Downey being Oz, how about Justin Timberlake? Go. No, that would have worked. I agree. Because I think Justin Timberlake can have played the can play the over the top performance guy, and I just don't think James Franco had that in him. 
Gotcha. And I think he would have been a better choice as opposed to, I could see Robert Downey Jr. being too old. True. So I can Thought see Justin that. Timberlake being kind of ideal age. He could he could play both showman, over the top, putting on a performance, and he could also show some emotional range. Agreed. Um, yeah. So Justin Timberlake, I, I love him as a, as a Saturday Night Live host. I think he's <laughs> one of the best things that they bring in as a host from time to time. The guy's got some acting chops, and this was one that surprised me. Uh, it was a, a great performance, not something I'm you know, going to sing accolades about, but sure. compared to what I expected it to be with a person like Justin Timberlake coming in, uh, it was good. It was really good. So overall, I love this film. It was probably my favorite film of the year it came out, which I don't remember which year that was offhand, but it was one of my top favorite films that year. I just still love it. I've got it permanently on my Netflix queue, just wow. so I can pull it up and watch it whenever I want to. So. Okay. 2007 film, I think, is when it came out. And cool. uh, love it. So so great. So we got some, man, good reviews, good discussion, good recommendations. We actually pulled together a decent show. We did. Compared, considering everything else going on right now. So that's Pretty not amazing. bad. The new mixer. Nick, everything's recording okay? Yeah. We actually did record the show, right? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> that, that would be a real shame. <laughs> but going, seeing how this week has gone, that probably wouldn't have surprised me. Um, so, Nick, thank you for your input on Oz the Great and Powerful. We thank you for that, and thank you for keeping uh, things rolling over there on the uh, soundboard. Chris, uh, appreciate everything, man. So, you got any big plans for the weekend? Anything fun going on? No. No, not that I can think of. I'll try to probably catch up on some movies. I need I need to find something to recommend for next time. So, that'll be my uh, I will tell you because I, I kind of let everybody down by me saying at one point I was interested in seeing Die Hard or Good Day to Die Hard. <laughs> I never saw it, and I heard it was horrible, so I don't regret not having seen it. However, I'm hearing Olympus has fallen, a diehard ripoff basically in a White House, but I've actually heard it's pretty good. Really? So if you're in the mood for a high-octane action film that's basically diehard in the White House, supposedly <laughs> this is the one to go see. And okay. uh, you know what? If I steal away uh, after a big event's done tomorrow, that may be what I go do to turn my brain off for a couple hours. Should they hours, have just so. called it diehard in the White House? I, I would be, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I say just call it what it is. Okay. Don't try to disguise it. That's what it is. So. Gotcha. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, again, you can go to themesh.tv and check out all back episodes as well as listen to other shows that we have on our network. Uh, themesh.tv is where you can do that. Uh, the Foot Candle Film Society that's uh, kind of helping put this show together. You can learn more about the Film Society at footcandle.org. That's footcandle.org to see the screenings we have coming up and also to find all these podcasts as well there too. With that, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Uh, some other films. I don't know what we're going to be reviewing yet, but we'll come up with a couple good ones, I'm sure. I know one of the films we'll be reviewing will be Quartet. No, actually, that'll be two shows. That'll be in late April. I think ah, we're doing there. Okay. Yep. So we'll have a couple episodes coming out in April. Quartet will be one of the four one films the we review during the course of the month. Don't know the other three, but we'll let that be a surprise for when That's we sit right. down to record. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. 
You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.